No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. Okay, terrific. Language and writing were made available. He'll teach you everything. I'm writing this down. This is good stuff. I'm John, and this is John Helps You Write Better. So we're gonna we're gonna write better. Here we go. Today I want to talk just for a hot second or three or ten about the difference in types of editing and in particular the kind of stuff you could expect from each level of editing because all right well something happened or at least I was adjacent to something happening and it made me think about how anybody uh, asshole good person or otherwise can slap the label of I'm an editor or I'm doing edits on, on what they're saying as if somehow that's going to uh, protect or uh, invalidate their critics or, you know, just make their bullshit impervious to complaint. And it doesn't work that way, like at all, ever, ever, ever. So it might be useful to, to as we, you know, hit the end of the first week of the year, it might be useful for you to know what each kind of editing is and what it does and what sort of things you can expect more or less at each level of editing. And by no means is this list complete. By no means am I the definitive authority on any of these levels, especially because I don't do one of them. But it's worth pointing out and it's worth remembering that editing first and foremost, no matter the level you're at, No matter what kind of editing you're getting, no matter how much you're paying, no matter who the person doing the editing is, editing is suggestion. It's recommendation. It's correction of errors, but it doesn't automatically mean that you have to accept those corrections. You can disagree with the comment. You don't have to make the change to the pronoun in the sentence, or you don't have to expand an idea. You can say no to things. You always can. There's there's no rule that says just because it comes out of the face of somebody named editor does not mean that they are always right and you are always wrong. If you don't want to make a change, don't make a change. And further, this is important, you don't have to justify why you don't want to make the change. You can just say no. Now, of course, if you have a reason and you feel like sharing it, go for it. But you're under no obligation to explain to the person, here's why I'm saying no to you. You can just go, I'm not making this change. Likewise, the opposite is true. I'm just going to make the change because it's fine. It's not a big deal that you cut out a comma or you know broke a long sentence into two. That's fine. Just accept it and on we go. But let's cover the three kinds of editing you will most commonly encounter. Are there more? Yes. But by and large in today's society with books and nonfiction and blogs and all that stuff, you're going to run into three different kinds. Here we go. We're going to start with the kind of editing I don't do. And the reason I don't do it is because I don't have the patience for it. I I took classes in it. I am skilled. I could technically do it. I don't like doing it, so therefore I don't do it for clients. I always farm this out 
to a few people I trust. And that level is copy editing slash proofreading. Some people make a distinction between the two. I don't. And here's what you can expect in copy editing and proofreading. It's the sort of stuff at the base level, the most basic level, it's the kind of stuff you would expect your English teacher in school to do. They're going to check your spelling. They're going to check your grammar. They're going to check your punctuation. They're going to make sure you've got all the quotes in the right quote spots. They're going to make sure that, you know, words aren't egregious, like you're not hyphenating your, your adverbs or anything like that. That's one of the things copy editing and proofreading does. It's not the only thing, but it's, it's one of the big things, and it's one of the easiest things to point out to somebody. Other thing copy editing slash proofreading does is roughly keep track of character names. Like if all of a sudden you start changing the name of a character and there's an inconsistency, like for half the book, their name was Susan and now their name is Doris. Well, that's a thing. Copy editing can catch that. Let's go an additional step. Copy editing also keeps track of stuff you probably haven't thought of before, like what scenes are in what order and why some scenes might be out of order or repeated. Like, weren't we just in this room with these people having a similar conversation? Why are we doubling up? The, the basic idea here at the copy and proofreading level is you want to make sure the book, the manuscript, looks the most book-like and the most polished and the most finished, while also making sure that the big, giant, egregious errors are out of the way. It's a good, useful kind of editing. It requires a lot of detail orientation, a lot of focus, a lot of discipline, a lot of care. It's hard to do. A good copy editor, um, oh man, a good copy editor can take you to the moon and back. Love copy editing. I don't have the, the, the patience for it. it. It makes my head spin. I don't do it, so farm it out. That's the first kind of editing. Second kind of editing, line editing. Now we're going to get a little bit deeper. Now we're going to take copy and proof editing or proofreading and we're going to add to it. So it's all those things. Plus, now we're going to start looking to see if the story is complete. Does it have a beginning, middle, and end? Can we clearly identify where the first act, the second act, and the third act are? Can we point out what the climax is? Can we also make sure that there is a character arc? and that it develops, and that it has a beginning, middle, and an end? Can we point out that the world feels a certain way, that the story is well-organized, that if you're using a framing device or flashbacks or something, that it's clear when you're in the present and when you're in the past and vice versa? Does the story feel like it has all the major guts to it? Line editing is, is sort of the middle ground between copy and proof and the deepest kind of editing um, developmental or substantive editing, which is what I do. And the, the really the indicator there is how much or how deeply you dig into those elements of character plot and world building as well as theme. Generally, line editing deals with just sort of the construction on the page, the characters, the world, and the plot. And the deeper stuff, like the arc construction and the theme, we save that for the deepest dive. But... Line editing is still a thing, and a lot of, uh, it's interesting because it's so often divvied up between copy editors. If you find a lot of editors on, on social media, you'll, you'll often see them doing a lot of copy with a little bit of line, like the Venn diagram overlaps. 
and maybe they'll do one thing developmentally. They'll really push you on character or they'll really push you on plot. But it's not really a complete package. It's just, again, overlapping a Venn diagram. However, the third kind of editing, the stuff I do, the stuff I've taken and also fused with coaching because I think the two things go together well. We'll talk more about coaching really this entire year. But developmental editing, also called substantive editing or depth editing, that's a really old-fashioned name. Mostly it's just called dev editing or developmental editing. That's going to do all the stuff line editing does and a little bit of the stuff that, you know, copy editing and proofreading do. But it's also going to take a look at how each of these things are made. Not just that they're complete, not just that they have a beginning, middle, and an end, or that your acts are clear, or that your framing devices are set up right. But it's going to take a look at stuff like, hey, here's here's the character arc, and here's how it builds, and here are the scenes it builds in, and here's how to make a scene, and here's how to write dialogue, and here's how to frame a conversation with multiple people, and here's how to inject that theme into the story, and here's how to develop this tension, and here's how to build the story from the ground up. When in doubt, you should be absolutely able to sit down with a developmental editor and take the entirety of the book apart and look at everything from every word on the page to every comma to each scene to every character arc to every plot moment to every scene to every kind of action and everything. Developmental editing, for my money, for my consideration, is the most complete kind of editing you can get. It is the most intensive. It is the most constructive. It is the most, I think, potent in terms of getting a writer from wherever they're at to wherever they want to be. And at any time in the process, I know a lot of people on social media love to talk about how you go to developmental editing first and you just sort of fumble your way through it. And then all of a sudden, poof, bang, you're a writer and then you go write the book. I completely, absolutely disagree with this approach because you can go to an editor at any time. You can go to any kind of editor at any time. However, depending on where you're at in your process, the editing will benefit you more or less. Like if, if you go to a copy editor when you're done your first draft and you haven't finished the second draft, copy editing is nice, but it's not really going to help you so much because we still have a second draft to do. You might still make big changes to the story. Likewise, if you're planning on publishing your book by the end of next week, getting a developmental edit now is probably not the best idea because it's going to be more intensive. It's going to take more things apart that you've probably already, you know, gotten into place and polished and gotten everything nice, neat and together. However, developmental editing can be done at any stage in the writing process. You want to do it before you do your first draft? Awesome. You want to do it while you're making your first draft. You want to make sure your second draft is rock solid so that your third draft is a breeze? Let's go. You want to do it after that second draft, before the third draft, because you're just not sure if you're doing everything right? Fantastic. Developmental editing. Again, I'm biased. I'm a developmental editor. I, I you know, fuse that with coaching. Um, that skill set in that toolbox I can give a writer makes all the difference. It's not just what your English teacher does. It's certainly not just pressing, what is it, F7 on your keyboard in Microsoft Word. It's not just a spelling and grammar check. It's a deep, intensive look at how you make a story. Now, let's, let's swing this around and address that point about, hey, this doesn't mean you get to be an asshole about it. When I first started out as a developmental editor... I was schooled by people who were, well, to not be so blunt about it, they were really bitter and they were really angry. 
And the school of thought when I came up in the late 90s and early 2000s was that the editor is is several steps above the writer and that the writer is a fool or that the writer needs to have their will broken. There was a lot of, uh, the metaphor they always used was you have to break a stallion in the corral or a Mustang in the corral. There was a lot of like horse abuse metaphors, but it's the idea that the writer is this wild untamed thing and they must be, you know, bent and they must be, you know, subordinated and controlled. And this led to a lot of very aggressive confrontation where I would call a writer stupid or I would suggest that they were, you know, just being chicken shit about, you know, pressing a verb or describing something. Like I, I, I set up this adversarial relationship where they, the writer, no matter who they were, who they were or what they were writing, they had to like prove themselves to me. And, and that's some bullshit. And thank God uh, several writers, one in particular, uh, straight called me out on it. And I almost got fired and I almost got real, really, really bounced out of the industry. Um, and it really got my head on straight because I, I realized after that, you know, huge ego blast, I'm not trying to be better than the writer. It's not about how much I know. I know a lot. I've been to school for this. I've, I've been doing this 25 years. I know a lot. It's not about me trying to justify or prove how much I know. The whole point of this, and it should have been from day one, and had the people who taught me better how to do this not been so old and bitter and, and you know, miserable old fucks, they probably would have done a better job at, at explaining to me that my goal as an editor, and the goal of any editor, should be to help the writer tell the writer's story in the best way possible. Not the version I want to see, not done the way I want to do it, not including or excluding the things I like or don't like. It's what the writer wants. How can we get that vision of theirs so clear and so well organized that they get it on the page the way they want to do or say the things they want to do or say? The better your editor, the better your editing, the better, the better your aid to that editor, the clearer that transmission is and the less apparent my fingerprints are. If I've done my job right as an editor, you don't see the things I've done. You just see a better finished product as a result. But there's a lot of people out there who, when they give criticism, when they give feedback, they want to turn around and be shitty. They just want to you know, point out how smart they are, how many books they've read, or whether or not they're uh, self-taught. That was some bullshit a couple years ago. And yeah, arguably a lot of this is learn as you go kind of thinking. But again, you you don't want to be an asshole about it. There's nothing gained in you being shitty to another human being about this thing they're emotionally vulnerable and creative about. You don't you don't win. No one's gonna come running to you and you know give you several hundred dollars or a thousand dollars or more because you're a fuck stick on purpose. Like they can spend their money elsewhere and not have to deal with your shit. So the important point, though, is that being an editor or calling yourself an editor or calling your feedback edits does not insulate you or protect you from people just telling you to go fuck off. And it shouldn't. It absolutely shouldn't because you, there's no absolution for being shitty. You just be shitty and you own it and then you do something about it and you go be better later, hopefully. But the editor is imperfect. I know, and because there are books on the shelf where I know I've edited a thing and it, it's still not right. Or there's stuff in a book that I left alone that isn't technically correct. Because the point of editing, 
here's where I get a little controversial. The point of editing is not to produce a technically correct thing. I'm not making an instruction manual. I'm not, you know, creating medical text that will save a life. In in fiction, I'm telling a made I'm helping a writer tell a made up story with made up people doing made up things. Imperfection is okay, really and truly. And it's all right if I splice a comma or if I leave in a split infinitive or I dangle a participle or I don't wrap a thing up as nicely as I could because it's what the writer's doing. Again, my job's to be transparent. My job is to help them tell the story the best they can, but the best does not mean perfectly. And I've noticed, especially in the last year or so, watching people get real hostile with each other about giving feedback or, or calling themselves an editor or touting themselves and selling their shit as an editor. The, the worse feedback, the more aggressive they are, the less, um, the less they're trying to let the writer be the writer and the more they're trying to have it be perfect, technically correct, accurate to a style guide, accurate to the rules what they fail to realize is that you can bend the rules. You can break the rules. Some writers, how they write and how they want to express themselves will break rules by intention. And you have to let them do that. Not because we have to let them be wrong on the internet. That's, that's a whole different kettle of fish. But if we're writing a thing and the writer wants to say it in a certain way, and that certain way is not technically correct, the way the writer wants to say it is the right way to go. No one gives a shit about technical. Readers don't walk around with the fiction they want to read and, let's say, the Chicago Manual of Style. That's just ridiculous. It's unrealistic and fucking stupid to, to expect a reader to be all up on like, oh my God, that's a comma splice. Oh my God, the semicolon is used wrong. Readers don't give a shit. They want to read the story. They want to imagine a movie in their head. They, they don't care about the abstract rule of this or that. So you, the editor, flexing so hard on what you know and how much better you are than somebody else accomplishes nothing. There are other kinds of editing. There's other kinds of editing you can do for nonfiction. There's editing you can do for instructional stuff. That's like tech manuals and how-to guides and the, the instructions that come in a box with stuff. They get a different kind of editing called instructional editing or, or demonstrative editing. But it's, 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 at least in fiction, we deal with three kinds. And it's worth knowing what to expect. And one last quick note before we get out of here. This costs money. It's going to cost money. People still, for some fucking reason, charge fractions of a penny per word. This is a mistake. This is a mistake. One, because what exactly does a fraction of a penny look like? Like a literal like slice out of a coin? You're... I, I've never understood, I've never accepted this idea of like, well, I charge one hundredth of one penny per word. Why? What you do takes 30 hours. Why wouldn't you want a 30-hour paycheck? Like, what, what are we doing? At the very least, here's your budget, writers. Copy editing, one to two cents a word. The very minimum. Line editing should be two to three cents a word. See how we stepped up? Developmental editing, here's where we get a little bit messy because the, the number's going to jump a lot. It should be a minimum of three cents a word all the way up to maybe a quarter a word, 25 cents a word. It depends on the person. It depends on how much depth they have to do. It depends on how much detail you have to do. And I know that range is big. And yes, when you do the math, don't be surprised if it costs you four digits. 
plan for that. Now, I will tell you that every editor I know of every kind mostly offers payment plans, ways to split up a check so that you don't have to drop it all at once. And if you're sitting there going, well, it's so expensive, I'll just do it myself, your work will suffer. But we'll talk about that next week for sure. For now, just understand that you will pay for better quality work. Free work is good, but there's a ceiling as to how much free gets you. And it's really worth considering for a better job, be willing to pay. But be informed. Know what kind of editing you can expect. Know what kind of editing you want. Know what you're looking for and ask for it. Give that some thought. I will talk to you next week.